Well, this morning we do come to the end of the Lord's Prayer as we look at the sixth and final petition within the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying for several months. And as we've said, Jesus in this prayer is teaching us not only how to pray, but what to pray. And we've said that there are two sets of three petitions within the Lord's Prayer. The first petition, the first set of three petitions teaches us who God is and how we pray for His glory. Hallowed be thy name. Seeking how, how we seek first His kingdom. And then the second set of three petitions, we see more about learning about who we are ourselves as we pray to God for our own needs. As we pray for God's provision, give us our daily bread. As we pray for God's pardon, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then as we'll see this morning, we not only pray for His provision and His pardon, but we pray for His protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's go to the Lord once more and ask Him to bless our time in His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, if we come to Your Word this morning without seeking Your Holy Spirit to illuminate in our hearts, what we're doing is futile. It is to no avail, and we will see no change in our hearts. And so we pray to that end, that You would open our eyes, open our hearts, unstop our ears, so that we might behold the beauty of the gospel this morning. I pray for those who are here who may not know you, those who are questioning and who are just entertaining what this Christianity is all about. Would you reveal and show yourself to be the God that you have claimed and as you have promised to be in your word? Lord, would you do this this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the author and playwright Oscar Wilde once said, the only way to get rid of temptations is to give in to them. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I think that many of us, even subconsciously, buy into this mentality when we're faced with various trials and temptations in our lives. But this morning, thankfully, we're going to see that there's a better way to fight against the temptations that we face in this life. Now, there's a natural progression, as we've kind of seen in this prayer, that moves from asking forgiveness for our past sins and then asking God for His protection from our future sins. And so we're going to look at this final petition here in the Lord's Prayer by answering three questions this morning. First, we're going to answer the question, what is temptation? What's the nature of temptation? And then secondly, we'll investigate the answer to the question, why does God allow us to be tempted? And then finally, we'll answer the question, how do we overcome temptation? Now, we first need to define temptation in order to then move on to learning how we can overcome temptation. Now, in this verse, the word temptation in the Greek has two meanings. It can mean a test or a trial. But there's another meaning that it can mean. It can mean an enticement that has the goal to cause one to sin. And in the New Testament, both of these definitions are used but more often than not in the New Testament the word is used to speak of this idea of an enticement for us to do evil for us to sin and so when Jesus calls us to pray lead us not into temptation it's this enticement to do evil that Jesus primarily has in mind and we're going to see this play out a little further here in just a moment but the great Puritan John Owen defines temptation in this way he says temptation is anything that for any reason exerts a force or influence to seduce and draw the mind and the heart of man from the obedience which God requires of him to 
any kind of sin. Now, no matter what form temptation comes in our lives, whether it's the temptation for money, or the temptation for lust, or the temptation to eat too much, or the temptation to be anxious, or for sex, or procrastination, or whatever it may be, all of these temptations try to make us to believe that there's a payoff. And that payoff God is keeping from us. And so often we buy into this illusion that the good life that we're pursuing and seeking must include all of these things that we're being tempted with that God doesn't want us to enjoy or have. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Right? One thing that they were forbidden from having, they thought that God was keeping from them. And so they pursued it. And so with any temptation, we have to understand this morning, it's first and foremost an issue of whether or not we're going to believe God and what he says. And so the question as we face any temptation is, am I going to trust that the good life here and now is living for God's kingdom to come rather than my own kingdom and the fleshly desires and the material things of this world that I may desire? The temptation is the wrestling with the good life being here and now instead of finding joy in being obedient to the Lord while we await the better good life that He promises will come when He returns. So again, no matter what form or shape temptation takes in our lives, it's ultimately, first and foremost, a temptation to deny God. Now, we read earlier from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 127, and we're reminded that we have three enemies that are constantly assaulting us and trying to solicit us to do evil. And those three enemies are Satan, the world, and our flesh. And I think we'd profit this morning just briefly to discuss and talk about these three enemies that we have as we move forward. So first, with regards to the devil, we're talking about a real spiritual being. Now, the devil is called by Jesus in John chapter 17 as the ruler of this world, or this present evil age, he says. But now, even though Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which is true because Jesus has defeated Satan at the cross, and now he rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. But nonetheless, Satan, whose power is limited by God, who no longer can deceive the nations, is still the ruler of this age until Christ returns. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Satan comes to deceive us, to twist the truth of God's word. In the New Testament, on two occasions, he's even characterized as the tempter. That's what he's called. That's his job. That's what he does best. And so he's someone that we do battle with as he craftily tries to persuade us to disbelieve the promises of God and his truth. Our second enemy that we face is the enemy of the world. Now, by the enemy of the world, we don't mean this physical realm that we live in is evil and that we should need to do everything we can to try to escape it. No, we don't mean that. But what we're saying by the world, we mean this, the collective depravity and the sinfulness of mankind in this age. And so as Paul, acknowledging the world as our enemy, he refers to this world as this present evil age in Galatians 1. 
This is also why John says in 1 John 2, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, this world is passing away, and the age to come has already been inaugurated at Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And so while we await this greater age, this world and those who oppose it are against God, and they're against God's people and what they stand for. So therefore, they're another enemy of the believer. Lastly, our last enemy is the flesh. And by this, we don't mean our physical bodies, even though some of us may beg to differ because there's things that we don't like about our bodies and we think are evil. But that's not what he's talking about here. By the flesh, we're talking about our fallen sinful nature. The natural disposition and default disposition of every human heart since the fall of Adam. See, there's still sin that remains inside our hearts. And I don't have to tell you that because we all know this living day in and day out as we wrestle in the flesh. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I don't want to do is what I keep doing. And then if we turn to James chapter 1, we see further this idea of the nature of the flesh. When James says in verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and is enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, as we read that, we may ask the question, okay, if God doesn't tempt us, why is Jesus telling us to pray, lead us not into temptation? Great question. That work of tempting is left to our enemies of Satan, the world, and our flesh. And while the devil is God's enemy, he has limited power, limited capabilities, the devil is also God's instrument that he uses in the lives of his people for his purposes. Martin Luther said, and regarding the devil, he said, even the devil is God's devil. See, God doesn't take delight in seeing his children enter into temptation that leads them into sin, nor does he put evil desires and thoughts in our hearts. But what God does is he allows and he brings us into the presence of all kinds of tests and temptations for good reason. And so therefore, this begs us to answer the next question. Why does God allow us to be tempted? Well, to answer this question, I think we need to go back to James chapter 1 and look at the verse, chapter, or verse 12 that precedes what we just read. Because there, James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So here we see James calling the believer to a life of perseverance and endurance in the face of temptation that evidences the gift of saving faith in our lives that leads ultimately to the crown of life. Now, it's no secret that you and I are tempted on various ways and different occasions every day of our lives. We have to make choices every day that we wake up and with the situations that we face. 
There isn't a moment of our day where unbelief, where disobedience, and where indulging the flesh is not an option for us and a response that we can have. And so, because temptation is a part of being a human being, when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, what we're praying is that the temptations that we face do not overcome us and draw us in so that they lead us to sin and disobedience before our holy God. And so we're praying that God would deliver us from the evil that is set before us. Every one of us is born desiring to be self-sufficient. We love control in our lives. And so when Jesus asks us to pray, lead us not into temptation, we have to assume a posture that we don't really like, and it makes us squirm. Because we have to assume a posture of humility and admit that I'm not really self-sufficient. I can't control everything that comes my way in my life. And that's hard for us. Because we're admitting our human frailty. We're admitting our weakness and our dependence on someone else. So whether it's being tempted to worry about our job or our financial situation, or being tempted with images on a cell phone or a computer screen, or tempted to slightly exaggerate the truth about someone else to make them look bad, or being tempted uh, to hold a grudge against somebody who has wronged us. Without God's help in the face of any of these temptations and every other temptation that we face, We're admitting that our willpower is just not strong enough to consistently resist the schemes and temptations of the devil and our flesh. And so we must humble ourselves, admitting that we need the strength of another to help us fight and stand when we're attacked. But notice that Jesus continues by calling us to pray, not only lead us not into temptation, but then he says, also pray but deliver us from evil. And here we see there's a negative and a positive aspect to this petition. The negative, lead us not into temptation, and then the positive, but deliver us from evil. And so as we pray for deliverance from evil around us, we're crying out for God's help because we see the capabilities of our enemies around us. But in praying, deliver us from evil, we are also acknowledging that there's one whose power is far superior than every one of our enemies that we face. The Apostle Paul, I think, is helpful here. 1 Corinthians 10, he says in verse 13, in regards to temptation, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I have to admit, I've heard this Scripture used and misinterpreted often. And it's usually used to be quoted to someone who's struggling, who's walking through suffering or walking through a trial. And it usually goes something like this. Hey, God wouldn't have given you this if he didn't think that you could bear it, if you could handle it yourself. And then the well-intentioned person usually goes on to say, you know, God's word promises us that he's not going to give us more than we can take and more than we can handle. But in that moment, what's happened is that person has promised something that the Scriptures do not promise. See, what Paul is revealing in relation to our temptations is that there's no temptation that those who are in Christ cannot handle and bear. There's no temptation that God will not allow in our lives that we can't overcome through Christ and His indwelling Spirit that He's given to us. 
See, the problem, well, God does give us more than we can handle. That's the reality. Because he does so for a purpose. So that we have to depend on him. So that we have to seek his wisdom, seek his guidance, and seek his strength in the face of our enemy's temptations. And so here's the problem with believing that God won't give us more than we can handle in our own strength. is because it turns us inward. And it makes us become prideful and self-righteous when we actually succeed in the face of a temptation. But then we also have the other alternative where it causes us to be crippled under shame and guilt when we fail more times than not. See, we have to recognize our weaknesses and our capabilities in relation to all kinds of sin. And we can never think that we can't be tempted to sin, especially as we look at the sins and temptations that others around us fall into. But isn't this what we often do? We have these thoughts, and we may even say this to other people as we see others fall into sin and give in to temptation. Oh, I can't imagine giving in to that sin. I cannot believe that they did that. Oh, my children would never, they'd never commit that sin. They know better. And we have this pride of thinking that there are some sins that we are just not capable of committing. And that's a very susceptible and scary place to be, brothers and sisters. Because as Paul goes on to say in verse 12 of chapter 10, he says, Let anyone who thinks that he can stand take heed, lest he fall. So if temptation can lead us to sin to the point of destruction, why does God allow it in our lives? That's the million-dollar question. But one of the reasons God allows us to be tempted in various ways is because it's preparatory for what is to come and what awaits us. God uses temptations as the means by which we grow in spiritual maturity and likeness to Himself. Temptations are the arena and the proving ground whereby we grow in greater dependence on and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that then the Holy Spirit can work in us to produce this fruit of faithfulness in the midst of temptation so that it brings glory to our Father. Just like our the Lord Jesus did before his father when he was tempted. See, temptations have benefit for us. Not that they, in and of themselves they're good, but because of what they prove in our lives. It's one of God's means to sanctify us into greater obedience and holiness. And although it's not always clear to us, the Spirit is the one working to produce this faithfulness in us for great purposes. And as the body of Christ... We're called to go through what his body experienced when he was on earth while we await the glory that is to come. You remember in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. There we see God's providential appointment to use temptation even in the life of his own son. And Jesus endured all of Satan's temptations, remaining faithful and obedient to his heavenly Father. And so if temptation was God's path of preparation for His Son's ministry to spread His kingdom, does it not stand a reason how much more do we need to have our faith tested and refined and strengthened through temptation so that we are proven faithful because of Christ working in and through us to withstand the enemies and their onslaught of us? Now while Satan tempts to the end of sin... God allows temptation for the purpose of greater faithfulness in our lives. Remember, Abraham was tested in Genesis 22 
right? He was promised a son late in age. And God gave him that son, made good on that promise. Then he called him to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, on the altar. What was God doing? God was revealing Abraham's faith. See, it was in the context of that temptation as he held the knife over his son to drive it into his only son to kill him that Abraham, it drew his faith out of him and he saw the faith that God had wrought in him. When I was younger, we had a basketball coach who would often put us in very difficult situations and scenarios in practice. And so we'd have the starting five would have to play six players instead of playing five players. Or he'd say, you're down by ten points and you have one minute left to play in the game. Put us in all kinds of these situations. And why was he doing that? Well, he was doing that not only to see what we would do and how we would respond and react, but he was also doing that to show us that we could press and we could push and experience more than we thought that we could in the midst of being tempted and being pressed in with very difficult trials and circumstances. Well, similarly, God allows us to be tempted in the face of all kinds of different situations to show not our own strength, as my coach was trying to do with us, but to showcase the strength of the Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts. God allows our enemies to tempt us so that the genuineness of our faith can be shown forth and that we might endure the trials faithfully. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, The faithful are harassed by so many evils for this purpose that their piety and obedience may be made manifest, can be shown forth, and that they may be at length prepared to receive the crown of life. But those who reason infer that we by fighting merit the crown do so absurdly. For since God has gratuitously appointed it for us, our fighting only renders us fit to receive the crown of life. So what Calvin is saying is that our striving and our resisting temptation is to prepare us for the blessing that God has secured for us in His Son. God's already secured the crown of life through Christ and His work for us. He's guaranteed it. And so our fighting proves us worthy of it. Not because of how we fight, but because of what Christ has already done for us. And so we can be confident in the face of temptation. Not only because He supplied us with the Holy Spirit, who's defeated the tyranny of the devil, but also because it says that He provides us a way out in our time of need. When God allows temptation in our lives, we're not a lame duck destined to fail each and every time we're faced with temptation. Remember Paul's words, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. That should be very comforting to us this morning. We're not alone. We're not the only ones who have faced what we're facing in our lives. God promises to provide an exit door, a way of escape, so that even in our weakness and our frailty, God in His grace gives us something that we can anchor and rely on, that He will provide a way, a way out. Our responsibility is to take up the weapon that he gives us and to use the exit that he provides for us. So if we believe what Romans 8.28 says, that we often quote, that God promises all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. If we believe that, then this also gives us assurance that God not only can, but he will use even our temptations to our good. There's no enemy that's too strong for us. There's no temptation that's too great that God can't grow us in grace through it. 
And in addition to what we've already said, I want to name three things that I think show that God brings good through our temptations. First, temptation teaches us to resist sin. Now, we read about Joseph earlier with Potiphar's wife. And we saw how when Potiphar's wife ratcheted up her seduction and trying to entice him to lie with her, what did Joseph do? Joseph emboldened and strengthened his opposition towards her, ultimately using the way of escape that God provided for him, literally running out of the house. See, the more we rely upon and we, on God's strength and we find it to be enough, the more we can resist temptation even as they come in the future. And the more we experience joy and we experience peace that comes with obedience in the face of these trials and temptations. So it teaches us to resist sin. Secondly, temptation reveals the Father's compassion. Now parents, you know that when one of your children gets sick, they're the one that gets your intensive care and attention, right? Well, in the same way as the believer endures temptations from our enemy, Christ intercedes for us and God tends and cares to us. Again, Martin Luther says that temptations are Christ's embraces of us. It's in the midst of our temptations that we can be assured that not only God is there with us, but He's actually being compassionate and tending to us in our time of need. Thirdly, temptation moves God to act on our behalf. Now, if your faith is in Christ this morning, you are united to the Savior. What's His is yours, and what's yours is His. And so when we're tempted... Christ engages His power to fight for us. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2. He says, Because He, Christ, Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Not only is Christ able to help us, He's compelled to help us because of His great love for us, to fight for us and defend us. God always gives us what we need for our good, including temptations so that we learn to put off the temporal, put off the fleshly desires, the fleshly material things that we look at long after, so that we can put on the eternal, Christ and His character. And this God-ordained process of transformation, it's necessary as we await the crown that is ours when Christ returns. So lastly, how do we overcome the temptations we face? Let me ask you this morning, what, what are the strongest temptations that you face in your life? What are those things that just seem unbearable to you, that constantly come at you? Is it being resentful towards someone who's hurt you in the past that you just cannot forgive? Is it your temper flaring up to anger when your children don't obey in the manner and in the speed in which you want them to? Is it when you have a loose tongue that spreads things that should only come from the person's mouth that you're actually talking about and gossiping about? Is it the temptation towards flirtatious conversation of someone of the opposite sex that is not your spouse? Or are you tempted to be lazy and complacent in the face of your responsibilities and what you're charged with? Where does the enemy seek weakness in you and attack you most? And do you often find yourself thinking, what's the point in trying to resist yet once again because I'm only going to fall back into it and give into it again? That's what I did last time. 
That's what I did the time before that. Are you feeling fatigued and fighting, wanting to wave the white flag and give up? Well, if so, let me encourage us this morning that there's hope in the face of our temptation. In Matthew 26, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his impending death on the cross. And he's trying to keep his disciples to be alert because he wants them to be prey on his behalf as well. And knowing their temptation to sleep, he says to them, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So with this in mind, as we close, I want to give us three ways, three practical ways that we can fight and overcome temptation. First, we're called to watch, Jesus says. And so the Christian is to watch and learn the enemy's tactics. He is limited. He only has so many tools in his arsenal to come at us with. And so we need to learn the ways that he attacks us. And with this, we have to become more self-aware. We have to know our weaknesses, know how the enemy has come at us in the past and how we've given into sin. And so we learn from the past. What was I not awake and alert for in those moments? What was I doing in being distracted when I gave in? Because the reality is, as 1 Peter 5 tells us, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour someone. Our enemy doesn't rest. And so we must be vigilant, we must be aware, and we must be watchful for the ways that he's going to try to attack us. And we must preempt those strikes. Secondly, we're not only called to watch, we're also called to pray. If we're not praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If we're not praying that on a daily basis, then we don't grasp the power of our enemy. And we don't grasp the depravity of our hearts and what we're truly capable of. We must pray that our desire and our affection for sin do not get aroused and give an opportunity to play out. But in the same breath, we also need to praise God and acknowledge Him that in His grace, He has not allowed some of our sins to give rise and give an opportunity so that it could utterly destroy us. But not only do we need to pray that our affections for sin don't get aroused and find opportunity, but we need to pray to the Lord Jesus that those affections and those fleshly desires are given new and greater desires for the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that He wants and He desires. This needs to be a daily prayer of ours because it's a lifelong process that God has called us to enter into until we receive that promised crown. Now, if we want to overcome temptation that leads to sin, we have to cultivate a disciplined prayer life. We have to practice the presence of the Lord, as some would call it. So I ask you, how often do we ask God to make it clear the way of escape that He is providing for us in the midst of temptation? How often are we proactive before going into situations that we know in the past have been tempting to us, that we pray moving into those situations for God's protection? Do we pray for the readiness to fight and endure temptations and remain faithful to God? We have to confront the daily designs of the devil with focused and determined power through God in prayer. So we watch, we pray, and lastly, we're called to work. See, the Scriptures encourage us to take the long-view perspective related to our temptations. 
Because as James tells us, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfected and complete, lacking nothing. We say it often, we are called to work because God is at work in us. We strive and we fight against temptations for the place that we're going to do it from confidence because we know that we're not doing it alone. We have one who's greater than our temptations working in and through us. God has purchased all the resources and the weapons that we need. They're at our disposal, freely to use. This is what Christ did when he was out in the wilderness and he was tempted. He quoted scripture, the Son of God quoted scripture in the face of evil and temptation. And we are called to hold out the scriptures when we are faced to speak into those fiery temptations with God's truth. This is why we have to be in God's word, meditating on it, hiding it in our hearts so that we are ready to use that tool. Because if not, then we're sitting duck. If we don't know the promises of God and what is true about us in Christ. We can also work from a place of confidence because Christ knows us and He knows our frailty. And so in our darkest moments of temptation, when we feel like we're all alone in the fight, we can remember that there's one who fights with us and for us. Again, the writer of Hebrews, in verse, chapter 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we are called to work in order to structure our lives so it becomes harder and harder for us to sin. And what I mean by that is this. For example, if, if you struggle on little sleep and it puts you in a bad mood and you don't treat people very nicely, you not only pray for a kinder disposition, but you need to work to get more sleep at night. In the same way, if your struggle is towards lust, towards pornography, then yes, you need to pray humbly, Lord, deliver me from this. Give me victory over this. But you also need to work in putting safeguards around you so that you don't give in to the temptation. You have to be aware of your triggers. Again, learning from the past. When is this often triggered in my life? Is it when I'm very tired and I'm alone in my room? Or is it when I'm feeling alone? And then you have to be proactive. You don't take your cell phone to bed with you. You call a trusted friend and you say, you know what, I may call you in the wee hours of the night because I want you to pray for me because I'm in the struggle. I want you to hold out God's truths before me so that I can remember them once again and not fall into this temptation. Whether it's a temptation towards materialism and you struggle because it is a release for you and enjoyment to, to buy new things. Well, you have to work to limit what your eyes are laid upon in a store or online. Or whether it's gossip or whatever your temptation is, we are called to work in the power of the Holy Spirit to fight against this, to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. So today, in a few moments, we're going to leave this place. And we're going to be faced with many temptations for the rest of this day. And Lord willing, if we wake up tomorrow, the same will happen tomorrow. And we have the opportunity as we face those temptations towards belief or disbelief. Towards obedience or disobedience. 
But brothers and sisters, take heed in the fight that we are not doing this alone. We are not asked to preserve ourselves in our own strength. Because as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 32, God, you are our hiding place. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with songs of deliverance. See, the one who delivers us from evil is the same one who's taught us to pray this prayer. It's also the same one who died in our place on the cross and who now protects us with the spirit that he's given to us. He's also the one who delivers us day after day from the temptations we face if we rest in his strength and work from a place of obedience because of what he's given to us to work with. He's also the one who will deliver us not only from our enemies and not only from their temptations, but he will deliver us to himself on that day when he returns and we experience the prize that he has secured for us in the crown of life. So as you leave here today, leave with confidence, leave with boldness. No matter what the enemy comes at you with, you are not susceptible beyond what God can do through you to withstand that temptation and bring glory to him and honor him in the way that you respond. For God will do this for our own good so that we become more like him and his character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all of this sounds really good, but then often when we find ourselves back in the thick of temptation and trial, it is easy to forget. And so, Lord, we are dependent. We are, again, humbling ourselves, admitting our frailty as human beings, that we are weak, and in ourselves we are susceptible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would embolden us with gospel power as we walk out of here and we face the temptations that you allow in our lives, that we would do so from a place of great strength and boldness because we know that you are with us and that you are fighting for us and that what it proves for us is that slowly, slowly we are becoming more like Christ and you are refining us, chipping away at the pieces of our hearts so that we can be ready to stand on that day when you return And we can give you all glory and all honor as you place that crown of life upon our head. And that we can be satisfied once and for all, free from temptation, free from our enemies of Satan, this world, and our flesh, to enjoy the presence of our Heavenly Father forevermore. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.